0: The pandemic changed a lot of things about how we work, where we work, how we work, and our work life balance pretty much disappeared. That's especially true for working mothers, who did more childcare and household labor than their male partners. In turn, they had a harder time working from home, reporting higher rates of stress and depression. The pandemic obviously made things worse. It's put American work culture in the spotlight for men and women alike. Anna North, my colleague at Vox, and I've written a lot about what's happening with workers, whether they're office workers or you know people working from home or frontline workers who are considered essential during lockdown. Are we as a culture reevaluating the work in our lives or could we be on the cusp of something better? I'm not sure, but Anna's here to help me talk through it. Hi, Anna. Thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. So Anna, you write a lot about work culture, things like burnout, how quickly companies are shifting back to pre-pandemic norms. And you recently wrote a story arguing for the death of the five-day work week. Could you explain a little bit about where the five-day work week came from in the first place?
1: One thing that's important to understand that we don't always think about is that there's nothing magic or inevitable about the five-day work week. It's not set in stone. It's not some kind of thing with the sun or whatever that we have to work five days and then be off for two days.
0: So I'm not biologically predisposed (laughs) to work from nine to five.
1: Correct. Got it. In fact, you know, in the 19th century, for a lot of workers, especially industrial workers, the work week and the work day could be a lot longer than that. People could work 12-hour days, they could work 14-hour days. Um they could work 6 days a week, they could work 7 days a week. Basically, you know, you worked however long your boss told you to work. And obviously that was really problematic for people, both exhausting, impossible, injuries, all kinds of things. Um and workers went on strike again and again, you know, through the 19th century and in particular, in the 1880s, you know, there sort of were coalescing movements around an eight-hour day. There was a slogan, eight hours for work, eight hours for rest, eight hours for what we will, that you'll still sometimes hear a quota today when folks are talking about labor reform. So this was a big deal. It was a big movement, but it still took a really long time to sort of become policy and reality. One big win was in 1926 when the Ford Motor Company reduced the work week from, I believe, 48 hours to 40 hours. And then in the 1930s was when things really started to change legislatively. There was the Great Depression. There were even more strikes. Also, you know, FDR was in office and there were sort of reform minded people in his in his government who recognized that something should change. And in 1938, we got the Fair Labor Standards Act, which, you know, has a number of provisions that are super important for labor reform. One of them was guaranteeing overtime pay for a lot of workers who work more than 40 hours a week. This had some big exceptions that we can talk about, including farm workers. But for millions of people, it kind of meant this is the beginning of the eight-hour day and the five-day week. It really established that sort of in American law.
0: Right. But as you said before, this, you know, five days a week, eight hours a day, this is sort of an arbitrary thing still. And now there's a push for an even shorter work week. What's that about?
1: One thing I I learned in reporting this story is even at the time, so in the 1930s, there were folks who wanted fewer than 40 hours. You know, there were pushes for a six-hour day, for example. So 40 hours was kind of where labor law landed. But again, there's nothing magic about it. And currently, there's uh, you know sort of a growing push around the world for thinking about like, do we really need to be working this much? There was like a general perception in the 19th century and going into the middle of the 20th century that like. By the end of the 20th century, certainly we'll be working like two hours a day and we'll have so much leisure because of automation and technology. And like, obviously that hasn't happened. So there are folks who are kind of trying to claw back some time for people's lives. There are companies that are trying this out, Kickstarter in the U.S. Um, There are other companies abroad. And then there was a really high-profile experiment in Iceland in, I believe, 2015 and 2017. Large numbers of workers, um, large numbers of companies, and also in the government sector. Really across industries. So you saw office workers, but also daycare workers and people who work with the elderly These workers all shifted to a 35, 36-hour work weeks, and it was sort of an experiment to see, could these companies still be productive, and what would happen to people's lives if they just worked a little less? And it turned out it was great people were way happier they were able to spend time with their families do their hobbies and also productivity actually didn't go down and in some cases it went up so there's just indications that people are actually tired out by a 40-hour work week you know whether you work a physical job or an office job that maybe we actually aren't built to work that much and if we work less we might actually you know produce more stuff for our employers which isn't necessarily in our interests but certainly in theirs
0: So you're saying I might not be working the whole time of the 40 hour work week. I might be, you know, stretching it out a little bit or we might be doing that. A hundred percent.
1: And I mean, some of the things that these companies did were like reducing meetings, changing the shifts around. But there is sort of, you know, some slack in your in your eight hour day when you're doing a 40 hour work week. And they sort of were able to cut some of that slack and give people back some of that time.
0: So obviously this isn't coming from nowhere, right? This is a reaction to something. All of these sort of ideas of a shorter work week are coalescing around something. You want to tell me a little bit about the state of the American workforce? Like, what's our problem?
1: Yeah. So by a lot of measures, work is really bad right now. So, you know, if we look at salaried workers, for example, so um, a lot of salaried workers are actually exempt from the 40 hour work week. So if you make a salary in certain jobs, an annual wage as opposed to an hourly wage, they don't have to give you overtime if you work above 40 hours a week. In those jobs, folks' hours have just ballooned. You know, the average, I think, um, a couple years ago was something like, you know, 49 hours a week for a salaried worker. But then you're seeing big chunks of the workforce working 60 hours or more. And there's also the sense that you're never totally not working. I mean, I think a lot of people can relate to this. Like, you have a smartphone, you have a laptop, you have Slack, you have these tools, your boss can get in touch with you anytime. And like, maybe you're not sitting down to write a report or clocking in at a factory at midnight, but someone can reach you and, and ask you questions and there's never true downtime.
0: Right. And obviously that was exploded by the pandemic and the ability to work from home and always like being online.
1: A hundred percent. So the sort of boundaries between work and home have been like in a lot of cases completely erased, you know, and we saw people actually working more during the pandemic than they had before, even though obviously this was a time of huge stress. And in some cases people had childcare and other responsibilities, but it turned out that like you erase the commute and people just spent that time working pretty much. So there's just this time creep where people have less and less time for themselves. And I mean, since we're talking about the ways that the boundaries between work and home have been eroded during this pandemic, um, Ronnie, you know, you just wrote this wonderful piece about the ways that working from home has impacted women in the workplace in particular. I guess I shouldn't even say workplace because now it's your house. Women in the house place. Yes, exactly. <laughs> or your apartment, your house, house, workplace, yeah. whatever it is. And one of the things that you wrote about that I thought was so fascinating was that for a lot of women, they want to work from home, but they actually have a harder time doing that.
0: Yeah, it's like this weird paradox. Like women are way more likely to say, you know, I would like to work from home after the pandemic, but like every report we're getting back, uh, you know, women are saying, I'm exhausted, I'm depressed, uh, you know, this sucks. And part of that has to do with these like deeply ingrained gender roles where, you know, because we're at home and because schools were closed, women have just picked up a completely disproportionate share of childcare and household work. Not only are we trying to do our jobs, do this forty-hour whatever work week from home, but we're also, uh, at least in heterosexual couples, we're more likely than our our partner to be watching the kids while we're also trying to do a Zoom meeting or you know turning over the laundry or you know making sure we get our COVID tests before we you know go visit our family. There, there's just like tons of added responsibility.
1: This is something that you know you and I have talked about too, and, and we're parents. But talk to me a little bit about. You know, again, with this question of the boundaries dissolving, right, this was a time obviously not everyone has had the privilege of working from home, but for parents who have been working from home, you know, it's often been you're working from home and your kids are right there. So what does that mean for women's work? What does it mean to be constantly interrupted? And are women more vulnerable to those kinds of interruptions than men are?
0: Yeah, I mean, I just think it makes your work suffer. You know, if you are just constantly having, you know, a kid come, like, ask you what to do. And like, it's just this unsaid expectation that, you know, if if your kid is crying, you will pick them up. Or if, like, something needs to be done, you'll do it. And I, I think I just explained it as, like, there is more work for women to be doing. The penalty is, like, our careers might stagnate. A lot of women um, have, especially during the pandemic, said, I'm going to put my career on hold. I'm going to dial back the number of hours I do. And that that could have these severe repercussions later on for, like, you know, how much money I get paid and whether I get a raise or advancement, you know, it just kind of sucks. And it's like, it's not happening in the same way to men.
1: And I mean, something I keep hearing from parents and especially from moms when I talk to them about, you know, about just existing and trying to work during the pandemic is this idea that you're not doing a good job at your job and you're also not doing a good job as a parent. So you feel yeah, great. So, you feel awesome. <laughs> so it's like, that's really hard on your family. That's really hard on your job. And it's also like, just really sucks for you as a person. Cause it's like all your identities are just kind of not doing well right now. <laughs> so I think that absolutely contributes to like the kind of you know, wide scale burnout that we're seeing to people leaving their jobs and people, you know, maybe leaving their jobs not super voluntarily. Um, it's a must. It's not great,
0: <laughs> right. So what could we do to make working from home suck less, especially for women? I got a few ideas from the experts and sociologists I talked to. They said it's really important to have paid parental leave, not just for women, but for men alike. Because if you nurture your child from early on, you like learn how to be a parent, whether you're a mother or a father. um, And that also makes you more likely to be involved later on. So, you know, when your kid's crying during a Zoom call, you know, the father might be more likely to pick him or her up. Also, obviously, subsidized childcare, it exists in like such a patchwork situation in the United States. So if you had a system where younger kids could be taken care of, that would be a lot better for women and women's careers. Another thing is just to compensate women equally. When I was talking to moms about this, a lot of what was happening is this calculus, like, okay, someone needs to watch the kids, but your job is more important because you're a man and you get paid more. So obviously, I'm going to shoulder this burden because it, it just financially makes sense. There's also a bunch of things about how if we do end up working from home a lot more, which, you know, women are really clamoring for, but from your reporting, there was a lot more policy stuff that could happen. Could you explain that a little bit?
1: There's sort of a few different things and all the sort of suggestions and solutions that you mentioned, you know, are super important and they're things that come up in my reporting a lot too. Um, There's a couple of kind of large scale shifts that I think, you know, folks... Think would be helpful for us to make as a whole society. I mean, one is just working less. So, this is like kind of a hard thing to talk about because, you know, we've both covered the issues that women face in the workplace before. And there's always this call for more flexible work, right? Like moms, but parents in general, you know, need to be able to maybe they have to leave right at five to pick up their kid. Maybe they have to leave at three to pick up their kid. You know, they need to be able to do their work at different times. But like, there's also ways in which flexible work still sucks. Like if you're leaving to pick up your kid, then you're doing childcare until the kid goes to bed, which, you know, as much as you love spending time with your kid can also be taxing. And then you're going back to work, which a lot of parents are. And especially with remote work where you can work from anywhere this happens, that's not necessarily a long-term solution. We kept hearing from folks during the pandemic saying like, yeah, the only way I get my work done and my kid's homeschool done is like we do school during the day and then I work all night. And like, then when are you sleeping or doing anything else for yourself? Like that's not sustainable or okay. There's um, a lot of ways that work in America is still built around the idea that the worker is a man, that it's usually a white man. It's a middle-class man and someone who like all of his responsibilities around his life. So his family, his children, his parents, like his doctor's appointments, that stuff is all getting handled by someone else, by his wife. And that's never been true for most Americans. And it's definitely not true today. So, you know, in a sense, our work culture and our public policy and our legislation have to catch up with that. The other big thing that I keep hearing from folks is just that workers themselves need more power. So, I mean, one of the cool things that we've seen at this particular point in the pandemic is workers do feel like they have a tiny bit more of a voice than they used to. I mean, for example, they feel more okay quitting their jobs. Right. The the great resignation boom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They think, like, I might be able to get a different job, so I don't need to put up with this. I talked about Iceland before, and one of the reasons that this experiment in Iceland worked is that there are large trade unions that represent most workers. So the unions can negotiate with companies about how are we going to have this hours decrease. And actually, since the experiment worked so well, the unions negotiated with the companies to make it permanent. So a lot of people are going to go on to these 35, 36-hour work weeks in perpetuity now. And here in the U.S., I think union coverage is something like 10%. So a lot of workers don't have any organized way of bargaining with their company and saying, you know, these are the conditions under which I want to work. And so things like the PRO Act that would make it easier for people to form unions, that's one way of kind of, you know, rebalancing the scales a little bit. So it's not just like back in the 19th century when your boss tells you this is how much you're going to work. So saying like, now I have a little bit of a say in this.
0: Thank you so much for joining me, Anna. Thanks so much. This was great. I'm Ronnie Mola, and this is Recode Daily. This episode was produced by Sophie Lalonde and engineered by Melissa Pons from Hemlock Creek Productions. If you want to learn more, you can find links to articles in our show notes. And don't forget to send us an email. Let us know what you want to hear on the show. Send your questions to recodedaily at recode.net.